Amen. You can grab a seat. How are we doing on this rainy weekend? Yeah? Did anybody not get out of their pajamas yesterday? I had a version of that because I wear sweatpants. They're my favorite pants. You can never grow out of them no matter how much you eat, you know? So it's really good on a Saturday where there's some football on TV. It's the first Saturday in a while and just get to sit there and enjoy a rainy day. Got all the excuses not to go out and do all the yard work I need to do. Just chill at home. It was fantastic. Uh, by the way, my name is Ernie. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church, where we are ordinary people transformed by the mercy of God. And if, you, if this is your first time here, we're so happy you're here. Uh, we're just diving into the book of Galatians. We started it last week. We have a podcast. If you want to catch up and hear what was said before that, how we talk about the Bible, what we do here on a Sunday morning is we teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And right now we're in the book of Galatians. And we have, you're not too far behind. We just got into chapter 1, verse 10 is where we're going to be. We'll get there in a few minutes. But first, I want to tell a story. All right, it's a story I heard. It didn't happen to me, but it's a story about a son who was playing with his dad's baseball card collection. All right, in fact, this son and this dad, he was very young, and his dad really loved baseball, and the kid and had a great relationship with his father. It was the kind of relationship that when dad left in the morning to go to work, the son would run out into the street chasing him down if he didn't say goodbye, even if the kid was sleeping. Or at night, the last thing he wanted him to do was his dad to play with him and pray with him and spend time with him. It was just a very close relationship. And he knew that his dad had these very special cards in his office. And, and they got along great, and he would often play with him when he wasn't supposed to. Uh, well, one day, the son got in trouble because he got in trouble at school, and he became very angry with his father. And he became so angry with his dad, he decided to go into his dad's office, take one of his favorite cards, or at least what he thought was his favorite card, and rip it in half. And so he ripped this card in half, and immediately all of the anger that was in him left. And it left, and it was filled. What he what replaced those emotions were dread and guilt and shame. That as he went back to his room thinking about what he's done, he's like, oh my goodness. Why did I do that? Like, I should be in my room. What I did was wrong. I should be grounded for this. And now I've done something even more grievous. I've done something even more wrong. And he began to go, oh, having fear about what this would do with his father's relationship, he decided the best thing he could do was to hide it. That he went and grabbed those cards, and he hid it, the one that he ripped up, and he put it away. And he made a, a, a promise to himself that he would never admit it. He would never tell his father. He would never tell his dad what happened. In fact, he would never tell anybody what he had done. Well, when his dad came home, he finds that a card is missing a couple hours into being home. And what comes to light is it wasn't his card. It was his boss's card. It was a card of, like, absolute value that was extremely expensive. The son could never pay it off. The son could never deal with the debt that he incurred there, which caused him to experience even more guilt, even more fear, and even more like resolve to not ever talk about what happened. And so as weeks go by, his dad would ask him, hey, have you seen it? Did you play with it? Did something happen? And he would just completely deny it. Be like, no, I didn't touch it. I don't know what you're talking about. And just lie after lie after lie would build up in his heart between him and his dad. And as he lied, and finally, as weeks have passed, his dad just stopped asking him. And at that moment, he felt, maybe I'm scot-free. Maybe I got away with it. Maybe it's over, and maybe me and this strained relationship that I have with my father will return to good standing. But it didn't. In fact, 
he started experiencing because of what he had done, because of his lies, because of the, the times he had to lie because he lied, there became this increasing distance between him and his dad. Where now his dad was coming up to him like, son, are you okay? What's wrong? And he would say, yes, I'm fine, but would quickly move from his father. He no longer went to see his dad in the morning. When he heard his dad walk in the room at night, he was filled with this just ominous like feeling of dread and fear. He had believed that if he ever told his father what had happened, his dad would never forgive him and their relationship would never be the same. And as he fed that lie to himself over and over and over and over again, to a point that when his dad began to ask him, what is wrong? Now he didn't just say he was fine. He would lash out his father. He'd be like, Dad, I'm fine. Stop talking to me about this. Everything's fine. And he'd walk out the room. All right, any parents experience this, by the way, with their kids? Any husbands experience this with their wife? <laughs> Amen's out there. When you hear that, you know they're not fine. The dad knows he's not fine. He knows he doesn't know what to do. He can't figure out how to get to his son. And as his son continues to just walk in this lie, he begins to build up resentment to his parents about the rules that they had. He begins to rebel against him and to indulge in other things that are doing. And if you were to see this young man now, after years have passed, you would see him and you would think, man, that's a bad dude. That's a rebellious guy. That's an angry person, but inside, he was really broken and sad and scared. Because he had believed the lies that he had told himself so many times. Guys, I think that's many of us this morning. That may not be the way you feel towards your mother or your father, but it is definitely the way that some of us feel towards our God in heaven. That there are things that we've done, that we've hidden away, that we never want God to know about. In fact, the things that we've done have caused separation from us and God, distance between us and God, and we don't want to face up to it because we're afraid of what he might say when he, when he actually sees us. And those thoughts look like this in our mind. For some of us, it's like this, a good mother doesn't think or do these things to their kids. I'm not even a good mom. How could God ever accept me? Or it's a husband doesn't look or think about other women in the way that I think about it. I'm not a good husband. How could God ever accept me? Or a good person doesn't think the way that I think or do the things that I do on a Friday night or lie to my friends in the way that I do or participate in the, the activities that I do. No way. And in our hearts, we do two things. We begin to hide and the second thing is we begin to indulge in them because it's all we feel like we have. I'm going to get back to that story about a little boy and what happened to him by the time we finish talking this morning. But I need to say this. If that's you in this morning, if your heart is burdened with guilt, if it's burdened with lies, if it's burdened with the thing that says you will never belong to God, you are in the exact right place right now, that God has placed you here for a reason because he wants you to hear the word of God that transforms and changes us, the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes us from a place of complete hopelessness to a place filled with hope and life and purpose. Amen? Do you want that this morning, Marcial Church? I know it's raining outside, but we all sleepy this morning. It's time to wake up. We're about to look at the word of God. 
And before we do that, let me pray. And we're going to open up to Galatians. Jesus, I pray that we would have an excitement for your word. Lord, I pray that we would have an anticipation that you're going to move and transform and change our hearts. I pray that you're going to dispel lies that we believe so long about you and that we would be removed from those into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved not by what we do or our performance, but by the performance of your son Jesus on our behalf. I pray, God, that we be set free from the guilt and shame that so many of us feel towards you. I pray that we'd have right perspective of you, and Lord, that you would use your word to accomplish that this morning. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, amen. All right, please open up your Bibles to Galatians 1. If you don't own a Bible, there's probably one underneath your seat or your neighbor's seat. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have that. That's our gift to you. We think it's really important. And we're going to start reading in Galatians, but a little bit of context, a little bit of, hey, let's look about, talk about what happened last week. We see that Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. He's writing against a people because there's a people that have entered, entered the church called the Judaizers. And they begin to say, hey, salvation is found through Jesus plus. They've entered in legalism. They said, hey, salvation doesn't come by faith in Christ, but by what you do plus belief in Jesus. They've added to it. And now Paul is writing to them to affirm the gospel in their life. And he starts by this, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that I that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it for from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Christ Jesus. Write this down. This is what we need to see in these two verses. All right. Only the power of God can change our hearts. Only the power of God can change our hearts. What Paul wants to make crystal clear to us and to them that the, that the gospel is not a human invention. Because a human invention does not have the ability to transform and change your heart. Paul is saying, because these Judaizers, remember, have come in and they said Jesus plus, but now what they've also attacked in his, his person and his leadership is his authority and the authority of the gospel. Either they're going to these people and they're saying, hey, I know Paul shared this gospel with you, that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Paul doesn't learn from the right people. See, we have these rabbis and these traditions and these people that have always told us this, and we have all this authority that he doesn't have. And Paul wants to counterbalance their authority by saying, you know what? Okay, they may have had great teachers, but the gospel I received wasn't from a man. It wasn't an invention. It came from Jesus Christ himself. In fact, we know that to be true because when you look at Acts 9, we see that when Paul becomes a Christian, when he stops being a Pharisee and starts following after God, it's because he's confronted by the person, the resurrected Jesus Christ in Acts 9. And in that moment, he realizes that the person that he's persecuting, the people he's persecuting, is actually the people of God, and his life is radically transformed. He is radically changed, that he received revelation from God from Jesus Christ himself and he wants us to know this is the actual true gospel nothing needs to be added to it nothing needs to be taken from it the gospel guys and we need to understand this the gospel has come from God not from man see the thing we preach right now the word of God that you're holding isn't an invention of humanity we never would have made it up we don't have we don't have the creativity or the ability to make up such a thing or the consistency we don't have it. But he wants us to know that the gospel that he preaches comes from God, not man, not tradition. It comes from God. And if you don't know what the gospel it is, this is what it is. In the, in the, in the simplest terms, I can say this. 
is that Jesus, being God, took on the form of man. He lived a perfect life, and he died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, and then three days later he rose, showing, showing his victory over sin and death. And those that trust in the perfect work of Christ will have salvation. And those that don't will be underneath their own works. That is the gospel. And this good news did not come about because of your behavior or what you've done or how many times you've gone to church or how many times you've gone to Bible study or how many Bible verses you memorize. It has nothing to do with that. Your salvation is completely accomplished by the work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you know why that's good news? That means you can't lose it. Because you can't lose something you've never earned or gained. It's been given to you by Christ, and it's held in his hands, and God the Father's hands, and no one can remove things from God's hands. And that's where you are. That's where the word of God tells us. And where we place our hope really matters. See, because there's a, a lot of talk that you'll see in university. I saw a ton of it going, you know what? It doesn't really matter the object of your faith. It just, means that, it just matters that you have faith. It doesn't really matter what you believe. It just means that, you know, you just got to believe that and live that out and be a good person. And it seems really open-minded. But what that says, just if you just think about it for 10 seconds, what that philosophy says is the content doesn't matter. It just matters what you do. They're actually moral legalists trying to tie you to a gospel that is not the gospel. Trying to tell you it doesn't matter about the content of Jesus Christ. It just matters about how you live. What a horrible trap to be in. Because how do you know if you've done enough? See, the gospel of Jesus says he has already done enough. It's, it's already been accomplished in him. And we could have never dreamed up this kind of gospel. If it was up to us to dream up how humanity would have right relationship with God, we would do what every single one of us intuitively does. Try to live a better life. That would be our gospel. That would be the false gospel that we live, that my goods must, outright, must outweigh my bads, or I must at least do one great good thing. We could have never dreamt up a God so good and so loving that he would show up and live the life we're meant to live and give his life for ours and pay our ransom so that we would be in relationship with him. We would never invent that. Only, only because of God could we have salvation. That salvation comes from the perfect work of God. And not only does it come from the perfect word of God, it was delivered to you through the revelation of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look back, he says, For I did not receive it from man, nor was it taught to me, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation really scares us. Because we don't know what it means. We just think of a book at the end of the Bible. And we're like, oh, it was that. But that word revelation means just to uncover, to take out of hiding. And what Paul is saying is that when the gospel he received was revealed to him was by Jesus, meaning he didn't look for it. It found him. Every single one of you, you weren't looking for God. God found you. In fact, God needs to reveal it because we are so blind to seeing God. You don't believe me? Let me tell you a story. In Mark 8, okay? Right after Jesus feeds 4,000 people, right after dinner time, Jesus and disciples get on a boat, and then the disciples begin arguing with one another because they're hungry and there's only one piece of bread. 
Jesus is in the boat, guys. That's kind of funny. They just just saw him take a few loaves and turn it and feed 4,000 people, and they're worried about food. And Jesus looks at them and quotes the Old Testament. He goes, man, you have eyes that don't see. You have ears that don't hear. Your heart's hard. You don't get it. Paul would say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. What Paul says there, it says, we were spiritually dull and couldn't understand, couldn't choose right. We were, color, we were colorblind people picking out suits, hoping they're going to match. We're hopeless. See, it's not just the work of Jesus that transforms us, but it's by way the message comes to us. Every single one of you that's a Christian in this room, somebody shared the gospel with you. But what you have to see is that that was the Holy Spirit working within them, working to you to tease out and woo you to salvation. Everything, every part of your salvation is a work of God and not a work of you. So that no man may boast. It's all a work of God, every aspect of it. You know what that means? None of your testimonies are boring. I meet so many Christians who are like, man, my testimony, it's just boring. It's like we don't have the testimony where I was like, I was a drug addict for 10 years, and I lived on the street, and I killed 15 people. And it's like it doesn't, it doesn't, it's like our testimony doesn't count. But the reality is every single one of us was just as far from God and needed the same intervention of Jesus Christ in our life. And it was a miracle what God did in our life because we weren't looking for him. He came looking for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. But here's something I have to say because we're talking about revelation. Because it does scare many of us. And we're like, Ernie, what does that word mean and what does that look like? Because a lot of people, and I, I need to warn you, church, because a lot of people will use that word in a way to manipulate and abuse God's people. They use it in a way that was never meant to be. They say that, oh my gosh, I received this revelation, and it'll be something wild, they'll lead you wildly astray from where God has you. Now, let me be clear at Mercy Hill Church, we believe that God speaks to people. We believe he speaks in dreams. We believe that people have visions of God and that works. We see it all in the Middle East. Half of the Middle East is coming to know Christ because of God is speaking to them in dreams. God works in any way he pleases and wants to, period, all right? But I'm telling you, when you come up to somebody that says that, I must warn you, there are two things you need to understand. There are two filters you need to run. Any revelation or whatever somebody says they have a revelation through God. Here's the first one, through the word of God. Through the word of God. Paul may have received the gospel through direct revelation of Jesus, but the gospel he received was the same one that the other disciples were preaching. You understand that? It's the same content. In fact, Hebrews 1 tells us this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the whole point of Hebrews 1 is saying, listen, the final testimony of God is given. There's nothing lacking in the word of God that needs to be added to it. There's no new revelation. There's only us, God, uncovering the truth that already exists there. And just when Paul said, hey, I had this calling, by the way, 
Even though he has this calling, he said this. Remember, he said this a couple of verses ago. Even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be a curse. God is serious about his gospel and he's serious about his word. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got this new interpretation of scripture and it doesn't line up with scripture. And by the way, it's really important to know your Bible, guys. Because it's giving the Holy Spirit ammunition to guard your hearts from the attacks of the evil one. If someone comes and goes, hey, I have this new interpretation, I have this new thing, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, hold it up to Scripture and see if it holds. Here's the second way to, lay, lay, to weigh it. All right? Is bring it before biblical authorities in your life. Not just other Christians. All right? Biblical authorities in your life. When Paul received this direct commission from Jesus to go to the Gentiles, but when he received this, it was confirmed by God in that moment. But guess what? Before he actually went out, he went to the leaders in Jerusalem to confirm him and send him and Barnabas out in Acts 13. Now, this doesn't mean that church leaders have a higher voice than God. But what it does say is this, is that we believe in a God of not of confusion, but of peace. That if he's speaking so directly to you, he's going to speak to the authorities that God's placed above you. The leadership that God's placed above you. That you're not the only one that hears. We believe in a plurality of leadership at Mercy Hill Church. All right? That God has placed men to be leaders, elders, pastors, to care for. That they'll give an account for the members of the church's souls one day. They want you to walk godly too. And they hear from God too. Trust the leadership that God has given you there. So if someone comes up and says, man, oh my gosh, I just got this dream. And it says, I need to be, I need to go church plant. We don't look at them and go, oh yeah, that's obviously true. Well, that settles the matter. We look at the word of God. We examine that person. We pray together. We make decisions together. And we lean on the leadership of God, that God has placed above us to confirm the things God's calling us to. We want to be a church, guys, that hears God's voice loudly. And we want to be a people that follow God's charge radically and bravely. But we also want to be a church that follows God rightly and not recklessly, but truthfully. So God has provided his gospel through his means and has given it to you by, by his revelation. And now you can live in security because of that. Guess what, God, guys? If your salvation has nothing to do with you, you don't have to worry about losing it. What you did last Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday has nothing to do with your salvation. It's just another point that points you to the need for a great and good God. That's what God has given us. And Paul's not done. Look at verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, whom I how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, being many of my own age among the people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Look at the beginning of verses 13. This is something we have to hear. That you may, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is an incredible message right here. 
The gospel can change anyone. If the gospel could change Paul, it could change you. See, I want to speak about Paul's life for a minute. Because Paul, who we know as Paul, first went by Saul. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But Paul was radically transformed by the gospel. In fact, this is how he would describe himself in Philippians. This is who he was pre-Jesus. If anyone else thinks he has any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, as the persecution of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, you may be like, what does all that mean, Ernie? This is what Paul's doing. He's listing out his stats. He's saying, listen, I was born in the right family. I was on the right team. I was really good in school. I was really good in religion. I was a rising star amongst the Pharisees. I was going places. I had it all together. See, Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a rising star in the Pharisees. Like, people had big hopes that he was going to be a great guy, a great teacher. And not only that, he was a leader in the persecution of the church. He says he was passionate about it. He said he was so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He was so zealous that Paul was there when the first martyr of the church was there, that they would lay his cloaks before him, and he approved of the murder of Stephen. And not only that, it said later he drugged many others into jail. In fact, when Jesus impacted him, he was on his way to bring even more to jail and more persecution. What Paul was was a religious, zealous nutbag. He was a murderer. He was like ISIS, guys. Like, just imagine that kind of person. He brought that kind of violence, that kind of hatred, that kind of anger, and not just against anyone, but against the people of God. If anyone would be pointed at, if anyone was to be thought of, no way could God use that person. It would have been Paul. But Paul has a radical transformation because he comes face to face with the Savior, Jesus Christ, the resurrected king. And he looks at Paul and says, listen, you're going to be my chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. And if you don't understand the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, is Jews hated Gentiles. And Paul bought into that calling so much. See, his Hebrew name was Saul, but he started going by Paul because that was his name in Greek. He bought so much into that vision. It transformed him that he points back. He goes, you know about my former life when I was the best legalist. You know about my former life when I was a murderer, when I was a religious zealot, when I would zealously go after and kill people when I did the absolute wrongest thing I, that we could imagine. That's not my life anymore because it's been transformed by the gospel and goodness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that not your story this morning? That you are a rebel running from God. That you are a person going your own way, giving God the middle finger and saying, I got a better one. And Jesus chased you down, and he used somebody to do it, to transform you and turn you around and point you in the right direction, giving you a completely new identity. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you have a former life like Saul? 
start naming himself Paul. Do you have a former life? Have the things that have gripped you for so long and laid claim over you, have they been removed? And have you been transformed into a completely new and different identity? Paul was. You only have to go to Galatians 2.20, where he says, No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. For I've been crucified with Christ. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's how Paul's life was transformed. His former life, he was a legalist and he was a murderer. Do you have a former life? Can you say it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me? And when I say that, a formal life, I don't mean just keep playing the Christian, playing the Christian game. Like, are you a better person than what you were last year? Do you read your Bible more than what you did last year? Do you do all these things that Christians do? Those things don't make you a Christian, all right? It's, it's like if you put on pads and ran around UC's football practice field, it would not make you part of the team. Even if you stole their jersey and everything on and were like running around out there, you're just a lunatic. All right? Doing the things Christians do does not make you a Christian. It's being identifying with Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in the work of Jesus? Have you returned to your father? So I'm like, but Ernie, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You didn't see me this past weekend, or you don't know the skeletons that are in my closet. You don't know the things that have happened. Let me go back to that story. Years later, after the son has completely just tarnished his life as he's continued to travel down this pathway, he finally returns to his dad with two, both parts of the broken card. He's never able to let it go. And what he expects for his dad is to yell at him because it costs his dad so much to replace it. And what his dad does is he holds him and weeps with him and says, son, it's paid. It was forgiven. Thank you for bringing it to me. Now our relationship can go forward. At that moment, the son realized that he had wasted so many years of his life had missed out on so many great days with his father because he was concealing and hiding and indulging instead of bringing it before God the Father. And he did it because he was so fearful of what his father would say. Guys, I want to say to you, your God in heaven wants to say the same thing to you. And unlike the story, he already knows it. It's not hidden from him. And when you bring it to our gracious king and God, he doesn't send you out, but he pulls you in. And then he gives you a new identity as a son and daughter. See, if, you don't, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not a son and daughter of the king. You're a creation of God. But those who trust in Jesus, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of the king. 
He completely transforms your identity. And that could be yours today. You don't have to wait. And some of you in this room, you know Jesus, but you're still holding back. You're still concealing things from him. And he can't transform you until you bring it to him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that the gospel doesn't come by our works. It doesn't come by our doings, but it comes only and solely by the work of Jesus Christ. Because if it was up to us, we'd mess it up. But because your work is perfect, because of what you've done is, is, is sufficient, Lord, we can trust and have security in you. And we don't have to look to another gospel. We don't have to look to another thing. The gospel enough is sufficient for whatever problem is in our life. And it makes our problems our former problems and gives us a new identity and a new father and a new life, Lord. And I pray that we would experience that to the utmost. God, you want it more for us than we want it for ourselves. So, Lord, whether there are Christians in this room that know you, that have believed the lie over and over and over and over again, that this would be a moment of confession before you and the distance that we create by running and hiding from you would be removed. Or whether there's a person in here, a man or a woman, that has just been a professional legalist. That they said, my relationship with God is bent on how I behave and what I do. And hopefully it'll be enough. They'll just throw that aside because Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That they would lay aside a fake gospel for a true gospel. That they would live in the security and that you would transform them, that they would be a new person on the inside. And it would work its way out. But first, Lord, it's got to start here in our hearts. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Amen.